are back, and I've got to do some debulking of the numerous articles laying before me, dear listener. Starting with a piece by Tunku Varadarjan, who, yes, apparently was uh, writing a piece for Newsweek called The World on a Page, and doing a fairly good job of it. I know I was bagging on Newsweek uh, uh, earlier because of some of the strange things that was a, that were appearing in the magazine, but I got to say, this guy needs to get looked at in the future for some of the good work he has been doing. For example, they did last January 23rd from, of course, 2012, he had this item. Impoverished Zimbabweans buy secondhand underwear so as to save money for such fripperies as food. Yet Tandal Bitti, the finance minister, detected in this desperate frugality an affront to national honor. His solution? To ban the import of secondhand undergarments of any type form, or description, whether purchased, donated, or procured in any other manner. And you think we have bad politicians. When it comes to running a country into the ground and stealing elections while doing it, uh, Robert Mugabe and the government of Zimbabwe have, uh, boy, shown the GOP in this country a thing or two. Of course, this breaks down the right-left ideology. Robert Mugabe was a Marxist and... um, was credited for many years with showing admirable restraint not to implementing various Marxist hokey solutions to problems, but, um, but we just like their kind of government to ban the import of underwear as a matter of national pride. Another piece by Mr. Varardarjan, and no, I'm not sure what, what, what his ethnic background is. He quotes Fidel Castro <laughs> saying, I did it my way, which is not literally true, but said the column, Castro sat bolt upright on his embalming table to pour scorn on the Republican primary races in the U.S., describing it as the greatest competition of idiocy and ignorance there has ever been. Said Varadarjan, the merits of his observations aside, the best way to ensure that a problem of this sort never rears its head in Cuba is to do as Fidel has done, disallow competition altogether. But uh, no, we like this guy's style. We're going to try and follow him, even if uh, Newsweek does move solely to being an online publication, which this correspondent is not all that crazy about. But let me quote from one other item from him. He said, There can scarcely be a person on earth who does not believe that there's a special place in the Mayan version of hell for Efrian Rios Mont, the dictator whose rule from 1982 to 83 saw the most brutal period of the Guatemalan Civil War. He'll go on trial for crimes against humanity and the genocide of Mayan Indians. The general has always maintained he was restoring order. And uh, from Iran, we have one, one, actually one final item from the column. It noted that to mark the 33rd anniversary of Ayatollah Khomeini's return from exile to Tehran, the Iranian regime reenacted the iconic moments when Khomeini alighted from the airplane onto the tarmac using a vast cardboard cutout as a stand-in for the revered imam. And yes, there is a photograph of a cardboard ayatollah with a bunch of uniformed guards behind it. He noted that Iran's blogistan predictably embraced this God-given opportunity for satire, while others wondered how a Shiite state could permit this exercise in idolatry. And to update things from Iran, The Week magazine notes in the current issue that uh, offended by the accolades for Ben Affleck's film Argo, Iran is now making its own movie about the 1979 hostage crisis. Argo has so far taken the best drama at the Golden Globes Award, 
It uh, tells the story of the CIA-orchestrated rescue of six embassy employees who were hidden by Canadian diplomats. The Iranian cultural minister, Mohammad Hosseini, said the the making of Argo was an offensive act driven by evil intentions and he's banned its release in Iran. Last week, the Iranian dictator, Ayatollah Salmanian, said he will write, yes, the Ayatollah will write and direct the Iranian government's finance response to be titled The General Staff. And I'll tell you right now, Radio Parallax is going to go right out on a limb and predict that the General Staff will probably not take home any Golden Globes. Our reasoning is that we're pretty sure that the training to be an Ayatollah and the training to be a Hollywood scriptwriter are just, they're just two entirely different skill sets. Of course, when you read about Daryl Zanuck and uh, Harry Cohn and such people in Hollywood, maybe there is some overlap. I don't know. Now, we've been bagging on sports writing in the past, and I think we're going to leave, we're going to give Lance Armstrong a rest on today's show after all. We'll, we'll talk about him with Sean Minton. But um, we made the crack some weeks back that, um, Sports reporting seemed to be kind of an oxymoron. And in the ramp-up to the NFC Championship game between the Atlanta Falcons and the San Francisco 49ers, we do note that the Sacramento Bee did publish some picks on who would win. There were 10 people picking uh, the winner on the West Coast, and oddly enough, all 10 thought the 49ers would win. And for the sake of completeness, there were four contributing predictions included from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and Fox News South. And oddly enough, all four of those picked the Atlanta Falcons to prevail. Now, we'd hate to imply that there's some hometown bias to the point of absurdity in sports prediction and sports writing, but doggone it, it does seem that that's the case. All right, uh, it is 2013. This does mark the 50th anniversary of the assassination of our 35th President John F. Kennedy, and it's curious that there's um, an update on the Kennedy family's take on that tragic event. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. went down to Dallas a couple weeks back and revealed that he believed that his uncle, JFK, was not killed by a lone gunman and that his late father had suspected mafia involvement in the crime. At a public event, Kennedy said he doubted the findings of the Warren Commission, which concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in assassinating the president, and that his father, RFK, thought the commission's report was a shoddy piece of craftsmanship. Kennedy said his father suspected that his crusade against organized crime, as JFK's attorney general, might have led to his brother's assassination. So he had investigators examine the phone records of Jack Ruby, the man who shot Oswald, and found that they were like, quote, an inventory of top mafia leaders, unquote. We would refer you, dear listener, to our chat with David Talbot about his book, Brothers, that details how Robert F. Kennedy did suspect there was a conspiracy afoot in his brother's death. But David Talbot manages to flesh out a little more clearly how RFK thought it was rogue elements of the CIA involved. You can bet we will continue to explore this issue as the year unfolds and JFK gets assassinated again, this time in the press by the likes of Bill O'Reilly, etc. Now, we talked some weeks, a couple weeks back, I guess, maybe it was last week, about the retirement from uh, the California Fish and Game Commission, which has now, I guess, been renamed the Fish and Wildlife Commission. 
the uh, the guy that went up to Idaho to shoot uh, a mountain lion, which is illegal to do here in California. Well, here's a story that just has me scratching my head. Piece by Kathy Locke on the Sacramento Bee, January 20th, which I'll quote from. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife is seeking charges against people accused of poaching snow geese in Sutter County. Warden Mark Michelisi said investigators determined that 15 individuals were responsible for shooting 116 snow geese and crippling about 10 to 20 more. The shooters did not recover from a field. The warden went to an area two miles east of Sutter, near Butte House, following a complaint of several people shooting into large flocks of geese. Sutter County Sheriff's deputies were the first on scene and, require, and requested assistance from wildlife officers when they discovered a large number of geese had been taken. Although the regular goose season in the area runs from October 20th to January 27th, Mitchellese said California regulations prohibit a hunter from taking more than six geese per day. The piece goes on. Wildlife officers went to three different locations to account for the number of snow geese taken. They found one individual in possession of an additional 200 waterfowl. Michelisi said he did not know how the birds were being stored or how they were to be used. The piece notes that uh, the shooters had approached large numbers of geese that were feeding and resting on the ground and fired their shotguns into the group. Piece adds, this method of hunting is not unlawful, but when done carelessly can result in killing more geese than permitted by law. Here's the part I like best. No arrests have been made. Results of the investigation likely will be submitted to the Sutter County DA's office. And it's noted that as a migratory bird, the snow geese is federally protected. So Mitchell Easy did note that investigators could pursue federal charges. Gee, I wonder why over the years so many species have vanished from the scene here in California. Maybe because some folks are reluctant to um, prosecute. I don't know. And how about this piece by Josh Richmond from the San Jose Mercury News? The headline is, Lawmakers Struggle to Define Assault Weapon. To quote, One side calls them weapons of war that have no place on America's streets. The other side says the term assault weapon is simply a menacing moniker designed to stir up anti-gun passions. Notes that this debate begins with a simple question of just what is an assault weapon? And lacking a rigid definition, lawmakers have struggled for years to come up with a set of criteria that sweeps in the rapid-fire military-style rifles used in some of the nation's most senseless mass murders while leaving out popular hunting rifles that allow a sportsman to quickly fire a half-dozen bullets at a deer dashing through the forest. You know, if you have to fire off a half-dozen rounds at a deer in the forest, you know, how can you call yourself a hunter? I don't know. I'll never forget, as a boy, trying to throw hunters off some property we had in the San Francisco Bay Area and, and just seeing how many guys would show up when asked, well, did you see the signs? Posted, no hunting. They would inevitably reply, no, I didn't see no signs. And, and they were, of course, lying and trespassing. And in my opinion, probably turning out to be disgraces to the whole concept of sportsmen. Of course, when I say that I'm in, I am influenced a bit by discovering many years later that in this exact same area back in the 1930s, quote unquote, hunters used to go after ducks and geese by basically putting cannon-like devices out there in, in the fields and, and shooting whenever they could blow up into the sky to take down large numbers of birds, which they would then ship on railroad cars back to 
chefs and uh, consumers in San Francisco. By the way, we want to talk on next week's program about a little email I got sent by Robin, which included an analysis by Tom Hartman about how we came to get our Second Amendment. There was some compromises going back and forth uh, by our founding fathers about the wording in it, and it's very curious. It certainly does appear, or at least Tom Hartman makes a good case for, the fact that the militias they were talking about back then were armed groups dedicated to putting down any potential slave rebellions. Stay tuned for more talk on that one. All right, we got about two minutes left. We do want to note that the, uh, the, the, the Boeing Dreamliner has been uh, grounded, pending some investigations of its battery system, which brings us full circle back to our contention that when it was claimed back in 1997 that, uh, that Boeing jetliners apparently occasionally just blow up, like the one that did over Long Island Sound, well, by curious contrast, none of them were retrofitted and grounded back then. Our contention has been and remains that this is because the gas tanks don't tend to spontaneously blow up. That aircraft was, in fact, shot down by an errant U.S. missile. In the, in the months to come here, we hope to bring on someone who had been on that very plane many times and whose wife traded off of it. She should have been on the plane that day and she should have died. She did not. Her husband has some strong opinions about it and I hope he comes on this show to share them for your benefit. All right, one final item for this, uh, this segment is the fact that Kevin Bacon is coming on to television. The movie star is going to appear in some... Uh, Oh, God. Let's see. This is a Fox News Channel um, program to be called The Following, uh, where, uh, I don't know, Kevin Bacon's going to be chasing down some uh, serial killer who gets let out of prison and a network of copycat killers. And I just want to say that uh, Kevin Bacon lost all of his money to Bernie Madoff. So this kind of entertainment is just another thing we, we have to hold Madoff accountable for. And, you know, when it comes to the gun violence in this country, we do have to address the issue of what's going on with our cinematic efforts with things like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and uh, other violent films and video games having some role to play in all this, but uh, we don't have time today. In fact, we don't even have any more time in this segment, so let's take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. In our final segment, we're going to see if we can't go to Washington, D.C. and Australia to talk to some old friends. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 